Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the very first Ask Dr. Renee show. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Our first guest is, well, I'm your host, Dr. Renee, in case you didn't know. And I will be bringing you motivation and inspiration to live a bigger dream. So that all of my guests, their stories inspired me, and I know they will in turn inspire you. Our first guest is Elvira Guzman. Elvira is a Southern California native who owns what was known as one of the fastest growing PR and branding companies in Burbank and Hollywood. She was recognized by Sister to Sister Magazine and Urban Influence Magazine after grossing over $300,000 in the first year. Prior to her independent success, she worked under comedian, actor, radio host, and author Steve Harvey for nine years. Within these years, she had several titles including executive producer, segment producer, stage manager, stage producer, production manager, event coordinator, chief web developer, assistant producer, and departed while holding the titles of PR and branding director for Steve Harvey, the Steve Harvey Radio Network, and the Steve Harvey Suit Collection. She attained these titles while working she attained these titles while working on projects through Steve Harvey's production company New Op Incorporated that had contracts with major networks including BET, MTV, UPN, and WB. Not only was she featured in Latino Magazine's September issue and is considered one of the future 15 Latino entrepreneurs, she also became the first Mexican-American to be featured in a reality show on BET for her client show being Terry Kennedy. She has resided in New York, Atlanta, and eventually went back to Hollywood, California to open LVGPR. She has represented 30 celebrities, participated in 20 award shows, landed 10 major deals, and produced 10 television and radio shows. Please help me welcome Elvira Guzman. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on your show. Thank you so much. So, Elvira, of course, I already know the story. But I would love for you to share with the uh, viewers today how did you, I mean, just start at the beginning and what, I, I mean, I, I really, I don't want to give it away, but tell people how you got started and how you met Steve Harvey and, you know, how that transcribed. Sure. Um, I met Steve Harvey when I won in-studio audience tickets for his radio show at 100.3 The Beat. And this was before he was syndicated. Uh, that During that time, he was just being broadcast in LA and in Texas and I honestly didn't really know too much about who he was. Um, I didn't know too much about the King of Comedy or nothing like that. Um, what I was really drawn to was his morning inspiration, uh, the first 10 minutes of the show because I was going through a really hard time in my life. So that morning when he said um, we're going to be doing in-studio audience members, faxed in, I immediately faxed in and I won tickets and so that was the first time that I had ever been in a TV or radio setting and so I absolutely fell in love because it looked like everybody seemed like they're having a good time at work and so I was like you know what this is what I want to do in my life and so um, when they told audience members to go to the right I went to the left and I started asking every single person in that radio station how do I get a job here and they were laughing at me because I was literally wearing a pink velour suit and it was a skirt velour suit and it was Roxy and I had Edney's on, yeah it was bad um, and they're like how old are you because I've always looked young and, they're, and I was like I'm 18 but I go to college, I'm a straight A student, I have a car, like you know I have a job like I'm responsible and they were like well you could get an internship and back then I had no idea what an internship was and so I asked, I was like well what is that and they said well that's when you work for free and if we like you after three months we'll give you a position and so I said, okay, that's fine, but I want to work around Steve Harvey. Like, I don't just want to work for free because I don't really care about anything else. And so he was like, fine, I'll put you with Keisha Monk. And so I worked with Keisha Monk, which was from 10 to 2 p.m., and Steve ended at 10. And so I would come into the radio station two hours early so I could sort the mail for Steve and his team so I could get them breakfast, get them coffee. Um, but I had never had the guts enough to go to Steve Harvey and say, hey, your morning inspiration changed my life. You made me believe in God again. You made me want to live again. I never told him that. It was just enough for me to be around. And because his team was so intimidating that I don't even think at that time I would have been able to muster up the courage to go up to him. I probably would have been shaking. So, Wait, um, let me stop you for a moment. Can you please share with everyone what was going on in your life prior to that? 
Yeah, um, during that time, my parents were incarcerated, so I did have my brothers and sisters, but it's never the same when you don't have your parents, so it was really hard for me, and I was trying to commit suicide, and the last time was the morning when I heard his morning inspiration, and that moment on, thank God I've never attempted suicide again, because I knew that there was something more for me in this life. That's wonderful, and I think that's really important for people to understand how you, um, even though your parents were incarcerated, you still motivated yourself to go to school and to, of course, achieve straight A's, which even people with two-parent homes, like myself, couldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, before my parents were incarcerated, I was a straight-A student, so it was nothing new for me, and my parents are amazing. They taught me values, morals, and they always told me that education was my only priority, um, and it was the only reason that I was here, because, unfortunately, they weren't fortunate enough to have an education, so they enforced that with all of us children. So when they left, I didn't skip a beat. I just knew that I had to continue on that path of success, and I did, thank God. Great. And so you did the internship with Steve Harvey, and how did you develop that into a job? Well, it was my last day of my internship, and I was really sad because I already had lost my job because of my internship. They had told me it was either the internship or the job, and at that time, I felt like the internship was feeding my soul, and that felt better to me than getting a paycheck. And so I let go of my paying job, and I went, and I continued with my internship. So the last day of my internship, I had typed out a letter for Steve, and I gave it to him. I didn't put my contact information. I didn't ask for a job. I didn't ask for anything. I just wanted to let him know how he had impacted me and that I had been transformed from that moment on. Well, I was walking down the hall, I was saying my goodbyes, and then I hear him yell out my name. And it was the first time anyone has ever called me Elvie, because I just heard everyone's always called me Elvira or Elvira or El. And so I heard Elvie, and I was like, I think that's, he's calling my name. And so I was like, oh my gosh, he's never said my name before. Maybe he doesn't know how to pronounce it, or I don't know what, but... So anyways, I walked back and I thought that I was in trouble because my parents were still incarcerated and I, I, I don't know, there was just like this fear inside of me. But he put his arm around me and immediately I felt like a father type of feel. And he was like, you know, honey, how much are you making at your current job? And I was like, you know, I just got fired, but, you know, I was making $300. And I think he meant $300 every week, but I was making $300 every other week. But he, decided, he told me that he was going to double my salary and pay me $600 a week. And at that time, it was I, I wanted to yell. I was so excited because imagine getting $600 every single five days, every Friday, when I'm used to not even get, you know, out of the 300 they still took out taxes, this and that. And Steve Harvey just straight up gave you the 600 And so I was rich. I was like, oh, my God. I went and I got a brand new car. <laughs> I started I was shopping. Like, it was nuts. And from that moment on, I was like, I cannot lose this job. So I would get, I never asked for a day off. I was never late. Whatever responsibilities they would give to me, they would give me two weeks. I would give it to them in five days because I know that they need it ASAP and I want to make them look good to their partners. And because of that, they kept giving me after project because they saw that I was the quickest turnaround time. And so that's how I was able to not only get a job, but last for nine years. In the nine years that I worked with Steve Harvey and Rashawn McDonald because they're partners and they both deserve equal credit, I've seen so many people come and go. And it's not because of, you know, anything with Steve Harvey and Rashawn. It's just about standards. You know, if there's people that are willing to give 200% and then you have people that are coming in maybe giving 70 because they have their own agenda, you could feel that immediately and then they're, they leave. So I was very fortunate that you know, back then I didn't I didn't have an agenda but to keep a job. And in fact, Steve Harvey thought that I was at his company for too long because he knew how smart I was and he would ask me every single day. He was like, Alara, you've had every position here. What do you want to do? And I was like, no, I don't want to do nothing. I'm happy like being underneath you because when it was, I, I didn't want to have my own empire. I didn't want that because I used to help run his. And I saw that not only do you need assistance, but you need financial advisors, you need managers, you need you know tons of stuff that I just wasn't ready. And I wasn't ready emotionally either to deal with everything that had gone on in my life. So it was easier to be up under somebody else, helping them with their dream, than to really ask myself the important questions of, Avara, 
what is your purpose? Why did God put you here? Now, you know, all of those, I wasn't ready for that. So he was the person who was actually like pushing me like, okay, I need to help you start your business because I don't know what else to give you. And I was already making more money than most of my counterparts. So, <laughs> so luckily at the age of 23, I started my own company. Not most people could say that. Most people, their companies fail within the first three years. My company lasted for over nine years and a lot of that has to go back to the mentorship of Steve Harvey and Rashawn McDonald. That is so awesome and amazing. Um, my next question is, so you had this wonderful experience and you did, I mean, you, you did have every position known to man. Um, in that time you worked with BET, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And um, so you had that experience and then of course anyone that knows Steve Harvey now knows that he has his hands in everything and so yeah. you can just imagine the leadership and mentorship <laughs> that that was for, for Elvira. Can you just real quickly throw in a few pointers to somebody that's watching maybe because um, I know my friend is, uh, uh, she teaches PR at Wayne State University and I wanted to and I told her to tell her students so could you give them maybe just a few little pointers that would help them? Yes, um, everything is about social media. Now, uh, I guess the number one tip is to stay current. When I first started in publicity nine years ago, the number one thing that we needed to get clients in was magazine because that's where producers and editors go to get content for themselves and say, oh, this was a great feature. I want them for my TV show. I want them for my radio show. I want them for my magazine or my online site. Now, Online is all it's about because if you pick up a magazine, it's very, very thin. They have figured out now that more people are going to Boss Up or Media Takeout or TMZ. So I would say number one is to always stay current and not to be stuck in your ways. I know some publicists now that are still talking about press kits. They're still talking <laughs> about eight-page press releases. That's archaic. That's dinosaur. We're not there anymore. Unfortunately, the attention span is like this. And if we don't give something a, a paragraph and let you know everything about it, they're going to say, oh, no, this email is too long. I'm not even going to read it. Unfortunately, that's where we're at now because we're getting, let's just say now we're getting 100 emails. Before, not that many people were email savvy, and they didn't have the, a way to get in contact with us. So now, before it was maybe 10 calls or 10 emails, now it's about 100. So now you need to get your point across quicker. So I would say that's a great tool. Also, is to continue to network. You're never too old to network. You need to get out there, especially because the companies are always firing the, the OGs, I call them, because they tapped out at their you know, they're making a lot of money. And so what they like to do is to, you know, fire them, hire the assistants that are making twice as, you know, less, and then put them in the positions because they know how to run it. So how are you going to get those contacts? You have to go out, network, and befriend those people. Maybe they're five, ten years younger than you, so what? You still have to make sure that they know who you are. So I would say those two things would be the most important right now. Excellent, excellent tips and most people that know me know networking is the key and I'll tell you quickly the story of how I met Elvira. I heard her name on Steve Harvey. Um, once I moved to Chicago I started listening to the Steve Harvey show on the radio in the mornings and I heard that inspiration too, loved that morning inspiration but he would mention her name quite a bit and I'm like, I, you know, I just take on, I don't know, I, information just comes to me and I keep it and so I knew her name and so when Twitter came about Slowly but surely I was adding people and somehow I came across her and was like, oh, let me add her. And so I started following her on Twitter and one of my other friends here knew her and I was like, you know her? Oh my God. And so I was like, you got to make sure I meet her. <laughs> and she came one time, of course, with a client to go to Steve Harvey, I mean to go to Oprah, which I'm sure was Steve Harvey, to go to the Oprah Winfrey show. And I was like, she's in town. But she was too busy, so I didn't get to meet her. But I was like, okay, well, eventually. So then I go to California, and I was staying so far, there was no way we could connect. So we didn't connect. So we finally met in January of this year. But between them, we had emailed, we had texted, we were Facebook friends. And I just was so inspired. And then she'll tell you more about her book later. But I had read her book and was just floored because I had no idea. And so I, I was just so inspired and just amazed that somebody so young could have accomplished so much. And so I was so excited to finally meet her and we just 
we're thick as thieves now, and I went to California a couple months ago. We hung out, and so, you know, network is very important. Um, my thing is, I love to help people, but I also will not be used, and Elvira's the same way, so we don't mind helping others. We just don't want to be used and abused. So just make sure that you can, you know, add value to us um, when you try to network with us. And so, like I said, we will open um, later for question and answers, so you can ask questions if you have any for either one of us. So, um, so what did? How was it breaking? Like, I mean, when you finally said, "Steve, I'm leaving," what did he say? He said, "You can't leave. I'm still going to be your client." <laughs> so I relocated back to LA, and so of course he was my number one client. And um, I would still work with him, and he asked me to actually move to Atlanta to help him. In a, he wanted to write a book. I didn't know what it was about. Um, he wanted me to be the point person for the publishing company, and so I told him no. <laughs> I was like, I have a boyfriend, I have a condo, I, I have tons of employees. Like, I can't do this. Like, I'm doing really well for myself. Um, and then he gave me an offer that I couldn't resist. And so the next thing I know, I have all of my furniture and my car being shipped to Atlanta. And I lived there. <laughs> and I lived there for, uh, I would say, three years. And in fact, another time I tried to move back from Atlanta back to LA, and Steve called me, and I was in Mexico. And he's like, Did you try and leave again? And I was like, Yes, I need to go back to LA. I miss my family. I miss the weather, you know, I'm used to like, you know, socializing and, and in Atlanta it was just like Steve Harvey family and that was it. And you know, I, I know because I'm so used to like, and I guess I kind of took it for granted because you know, Steve Harvey's name was the biggest in Atlanta. So when I would go to events, everybody wanted to know me and I was like, I want to know somebody else. Like I need to know the Oprah's, the Tyler Perry's, the, you know, and that wasn't possible during that time. And so I was like, I need to go back to LA because this isn't good for my business. I need to continue to grow. And I can't help all of these people that seem think that I'm the person to, you know, get to. And so the last time I finally moved back to LA was because I was able to help Steve Harvey get on Oprah and a record four times in one month. I already had got him on Ellen and everything else. And I was like, okay, Steve, like, enough. You know, now I have to go do my company and grow and expand. Um, and he definitely understood that. And he was like, okay, he gave me his blessings. I did his final hoodie awards because I used to do, I used to uh, get all of the presenters, all of the uh, performers, do all of the red carpet. And so I'm not the type of person that's going to say, okay, I'm out and I'm done. Absolutely not. I'm the type of person that's going to say, okay, I need to go to grow, but I'm going to be here to help you through the transition. And so I finished up the last, I believe it was the eighth hoodie award, and then that was it. And because I already had things lined up, as soon as I got to LA, the camera started rolling for BET's being Terry Kennedy. So I honestly didn't have the time. I couldn't give, you know, what I used to give, and it wasn't fair. So that's how that transition went. And so, I mean, I know you have a fabulous website, lvgpr.com, and, you know, it has your clients on and stuff. But prior to that, because even actually now I don't even have a website um, for our company, but prior to that, how did people, besides Steve saying your name every five minutes, how did people find <laughs> you and, you know, how did you get your clientele to start your business? Well, because I was the talent booker for the morning show, and I was the talent booker for every other show he did for UPN, BET, the Hoodie Awards, Celebration of Gospel, the celebrities already knew me. And so the moment that it was, you know, it was almost like Steve said it was okay for me to represent other people, they were like, oh my God, like, I want you, I want you. And I didn't know what to do. That's why my company did so well the first year. I thought that it was going to be like other companies where you have to struggle to get two clients and three clients and four clients. That wasn't the case with me. Almost immediately I had Music Soul Child, Cupid, Roy Jones Jr., um, tons of others. And I was I had to literally hire my friends and train them and, and to do and to do publicity because I couldn't split myself up and send this person to the essence, send that person to this event. And so I was very, very fortunate that I was a talent booker before this. That's awesome. And um, and now your company, how many employees do you have? We just have two employees, and we have about four girls that we're training right now. They're all from USC. Okay, and USC is her alma mater, just in case yes. you didn't know. So who takes a vacation and writes an entire book? 
Elvira does. <laughs> and, um, and then I see you're about to write a second one, which is amazing. But please tell everyone about your blueprint. Thank you. Um, well, I was struggling with the previous book that I was editing because I help celebrities and uh, entrepreneurs write books. And I was I was struggling with a book that I just couldn't finish editing. And it seemed almost like every time I had designated an evening or a morning or a weekend to edit this book, I would get phone calls that was an emergency. I would get an event or another client that would say, hey, I need you to do this. And I was just not able to do it. So I said, you know what, let me book a trip to the Dominican Republic by myself. And I have to finish it by the time I get back. So I went to the Dominican Republic um, and I started the editing process for two days. It was going okay because I didn't have cell uh, reception, so there's absolutely no way for me to, you know, have distractions, and I didn't take anybody with me, so I I was able to do that. However, the third day when I went out there with my laptop, God had a different plan, and God was like, start with a blank piece of paper, and I was like, no, like that's not what you mean, right? And you know, God was like, yes, I mean, start with a blank piece of paper. And so finally, because I was brought up very spiritual, I know the voice of God. I obeyed um, and so I did I started with a blank piece of paper and the first day I wrote a hundred and I'm sorry I wrote the first the first half of the book and the second day I wrote the second half but the first day I wrote I would say about 70 pages of it so about 20 more pages I was just like in the zone I mean how many people could say that in one sitting they write 70 pages of content I don't know Not many, many. No. Yeah, and it was just flowing through me. And one thing about this book, which I have to explain, is that there's no editing in this book because I felt that it was streamed through me. And so I, what I usually do for others, where I go in there and I fluff it up, I make it a good 300 pages, so that way you can hike up the prices, because that's what everybody wants is about the dollar, it's about the look, it's about the presentation. My message was, no, you give it as is because it has to be true. And so that's why my book is simply 114 pages. You could read it in two and a half hours, and that was my complete intent. So yes, I wrote it in two days. I came back with the mission of getting it out. And so eventually my book is going to be a movie. Eventually my book is going to be a TV show series, and I'm already doing all of the philanthropy work behind the scenes. So I go to juvenile halls and I speak, I hand out the books. I go to at-risk high schools, I hand out the books. So it's all about getting the awareness out there that your purpose is the most important thing in our lives. Yes, that is, just, and it's so important um, to figure out what your purpose is in life. I think once you figure out your purpose, it's like the light turns on. Possibly. Absolutely. Um, you know, and you can see clearly. It's like, how can you write an essay in the dark? Turn on the light and you're going to see things so clearly. It's going to be and simple. And that's why it's really important and I try to instill in all the young people in my life, um, high schoolers, even younger than that, to do internships. Try to follow somebody in the field that you think you're interested in solely because that'll expose you even just a little bit to that field and you can say I love this or I don't like it and you move on to something else. Um, college is not cheap as everyone knows and it's getting more expensive by the day and yeah. it's not good to go through four or five years of college and discover that you really did not want to do that. Yeah, That's exactly. a waste of money and you know and if it's loans it's a, you know that's a whole lot of money to be in debt to realize that this is just not what I wanted to do. So you really need to Try and try and try and figure things out, you know, try new things and explore. Mm -hmm. And I think Elvira's book, um, books like Purpose Driven Life, these are books that after you read them, you might be able to say, hey, I know what I want to do just from reading the book. If you do the exercises in these books, I think it'll help you to figure out, you know, exactly what it is, what's your mission, and what is your purpose in life. I think that God puts a purpose on everybody's life. There's a reason for all of us to be here, and it's just upon you finding that reason. It is so important, I think, for everyone to be as happy as possible, and I know that sounds really cliche and funny, but I am so serious. Um, we just found out that one of the um, creators of some of the hair products that I used to use, she committed suicide a couple weeks ago, and I mean, you know, money does not buy happiness, and I've always said that, but it is so important to please love what you do and live a happy life because you just never know and you know and please know that even if you are depressed that is never the exit you should always you know try to get help but 
Um, so Elvira, please tell them about the philanthropic things that you do because I think they are so amazing and I can't wait till I get there one day and can do the same. Thank you so much. Well, one of the things that I'm very proud about is that I go and I speak in juvenile halls. Um, one thing that I don't, I didn't know this, so I know that many others don't know it as well, is that 85% of the girls that are in juvenile hall are in there for human trafficking. And so these girls are in the, are, that are in there are broken. A lot of the, and I, I asked the, the correctional officers, and I was like, well, where are their parents? Like, why aren't they here? Why aren't they helping? Or, you know, why don't they care? And they told me that the majority of their parents are the people that put them into that life, that maybe their mother is also working or their dad is the pimp. And so when I go and I speak in these juvenile halls, it's really my life's work because you know, they're the hardest crowd ever because they don't want to hear anything. They're so hurt. And when I walk in there, you can, they're all talking to each other. You know, they don't want to hear anything. They have tattoos on their neck. You're just like, oh, my gosh, you're so young. And you look already so hard, so tired, and so angry. But as soon as I tell them my story and what I went through, they listen because they see that, hey, if she went through what something similar that I went through and she made it and she could look like that, which is success, then I could do it as well. And so that's why I think it's so important for, you know, everyone to go back in. I was never in juvenile hall, but I still go back in there because I could relate to many of their stories. Uh, I know that I can't reach many of the boys, so what I do is I ask my clients who have similar stories. Maybe they lost a mother early on, or maybe they never knew their father, yet they still made it to the top of their company, and they have mentors to thank, or they have internships to thank. And they could teach that to the boys. So I also do that. Other things that I do is I go to high schools, at-risk high schools, where you know this is the, the final school that these kids have a chance to get their education. So that touches my heart because I feel like these girls think that nobody cares for them. And I once I let them know that I felt the same way because I, I felt like I had nobody. And when I look in the audience and I see their eyes and I see them tearing up, it's because they know that they're not the only one with that story. And in knowing that, it liberates them because they know, hey, God is not picking on me. This is just something that's here to make me stronger. So that's another thing that I do that really touches my heart. Um, in addition to that, I have mentees. Like, for instance, when I go and I speak at USC's, you know, that, you know, these kids are a little more privileged, you would think. Absolutely not. When I spoke at USC, one of the girls walked up to me and she told me that you know her my story relates with hers because her dad is currently in jail and after the jail sentence he's going to be deported because he doesn't have papers and she's sitting there crying saying you know Ms. Guzman how can I worry about this test or this final when I'm so sick inside about not ever seeing my dad again like if he's going to get killed he doesn't have family in Mexico we've lived here all of our lives like what is he going to do you know, and so I relate to that because I also used to be ready to take tests and have that thought in the back of my mind of, oh, I'm going to visit my dad on Saturday. I hope he lives until then so I could see him. You know, I would have that. And so how can a child be forced to think about, oh, let me get straight A's or this or that when they have this? And so because I feel that I've developed the coping skills and was able to succeed, that's why I go back because in touching that little girl's hand, you know, she's probably 19 or 18, whatever. Let you know just having that human touch or letting her know that hey, I'm here for you. That makes me feel great. And also like the Latino College Expo that I just did, um, that goes to help educate Latinos. Uh, only 68% of Latinos graduate high school. Out of the 54 million that are here, only four of us, four million of us have bachelor's degrees. Only 1.3 million have advanced degrees. That's an issue. If we're the largest minority. And less than 5% of our people have bachelor's degrees. That's an issue in the future. And so I try to team up with organizations where I could facilitate information to the kids, information to the parents. Because one of the major reasons why is because our parents didn't go to school here. Their high school is five years. Ours is four. They don't know what an SAT, ACT is. So what it is for me, it's about any place where I could be of service, where I feel now I know better, so now I could go back and teach, is where I'm at right now. So that's a little bit about the philanthropy work that I'm doing. Don't forget to tell us about the dresses. 
Oh yes, uh, my dress <laughs> one, and I actually have one here. Um, and to uh, tell you guys a little bit about it, I had teamed up with a company that their vision didn't align with mine. At the end of the day, I'm not in the dress industry to make money. I'm in the dress industry to help, and they didn't feel the same way as I did. And I would rather kill a deal and do it on my own with my own money than to partner with somebody whose true intent is not what I believe of God. And so my dress line, like I mentioned to you before, um, when the girls are released from the juvenile halls, they're given the same dress to put on that they wore to go in. And those girls have to work, and you know what that means, 20 to 30 times a day. So all of those memories of that dress, and you know, the intent of juvenile hall is to rehabilitate a girl. So if you're going to rehabilitate her but then make her wear the same outfit that she wore when she came in, that's a different girl now. So I wanted to create a dress line where I could use that money to eventually have um, foundations uh, and hopefully Alvi centers where if they don't have a place to transition out of juvenile hall, then they're able to come to my location, have a safe bed to sleep in, they're going to be able to do their homework, go to school. And so when somebody buys the entire collection of my dresses, which will be back up, soon. Um, one dress is going to be donated to a girl that's transitioning out of juvenile hall. And actually we have um, dresses that were just made and we're going to start promoting this week um, of our dresses. I believe we're going to be releasing 15 dresses. And it's going to be the dress and the book for $35 including shipping. So it's like a super special. But we just want to get the word out so that every time that somebody wears a dress we're hoping that those social media They'll promote the book um, in the meantime while we're getting all of the dress orders back in, in order. Now that I'm going to be the investor. <laughs> so this is one of the dresses. Yeah. So um, they're all business dresses that you could wear for, you know, when you're going to a meeting or you're going for networking. And so, um, and then you'll see that's our that's our logo. Um, you know, one of the the important things that Steve Harvey and Rashawn McDonald instilled in me is that when you're going to meetings or when you're going to networking or when you're going anywhere to your office, you want to make sure that you exude where you're going, not where you're at. So let's just say, for instance, you make maybe $40,000. Dress and you want a job that's half a million. Dress as if you are already at that half a million because that's how you're going to get those people to meet with you and talk to you. So my dress line is affordable, but the cuts are so that you can have those meetings, you can exude that class without having to spend a thousand dollars a dress, which a lot of women in entertainment do. I don't believe that that should be the case. You could spend twenty to thirty dollars on a dress, spend the rest of that money and invest it in your future, invest it in stocks, or invest it in your books or in your personal ventures. So this is one of the ways that. Um, I'm also doing philanthropy because you could look good and you could be doing something great. So thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions? I don't see any questions over here yet. Does anyone have any questions? There should be a link there for you to click on, ask a question, and you can type in your questions. Um, we have a little, little less than 30 minutes left. Okay, well, while they're doing that... Um, so the dress, the the dresses. Um, did you say how much the whole line would be? Um, we're not. Well, the entire collection is. Yeah, the entire collection yeah. is going to be one forty-five. The prices are not going to change. Okay. Yeah, so okay. One forty-five, and then each dress is going to be twenty-nine dollars. Gotcha, gotcha. And where would they be able to purchase these? LVGdresses.com. Great. Yeah, so uh -huh. everything's ready. We, I literally have a meeting with uh, my dress person so that way I can place the orders and then I'm going to be putting everything online of what dresses we have in stock and that will be delivered within a week. Okay, great. And then um, where can we get your book? You can get my book on Amazon.com and this is my book. It's called Your Blueprint. Perfect. And it's the best thing that I have ever done. <laughs> You will love it. And hopefully you guys will refer it, give it out, tell your friends about it, post on social media. It's a movement. It's about finding your purpose. Um, like Dr. Renee said, once you find your purpose, it's like turning on the light in a dark room and everything starts to make sense. And you're just like, wow, this is what it feels like to have true joy. 
I think a lot of us make the mistake of whatever it is that we might lack at that particular time, whether it be like, oh, if I just had a million dollars, if I just had a husband, if I just had a kid, if I just had my mom back from being dead, then I'll be happy. That's not true. If you find your purpose in life, that's when you're going to be happy because then you're going to understand why your mother passed away. You're going to understand why your man left you. You're going to understand why you're having whatever financial situation because you're going to have that awareness. So that's what true happiness comes from is from knowing things happen to us for a good reason, not because God is trying to punish us. It's because God is trying to redirect us simply. So that's what the book teaches. And, you know, a few of the chapters that I think are extremely important or for instance, one divine order. This is one that I talk to all of my clients about. Um, some people, they take it personal when, let's say, a particular media outlet doesn't want to have them on. I try and tell my clients, don't get upset when you get a no. We're going to pitch three, four, ten times if we have to, and we're going to get it right. It's just probably not the right time. When we have gone back with the pitches, and I have told my clients the same thing. They're like, oh, Elvira, you are so right. I get it because before it wouldn't have been on sale and I wouldn't have made any money if we would have got the interview then. And now, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I told, you know, and it wasn't even up to me because the same pitch I sent before is the same one that I'm sending now, but it's just a matter of timing, which is never up to us. So that's one. And then another one that I believe um, is great is, who shattered your heart? You know, like I mentioned, briefly mentioned before, and I'll use myself personally. Um, I was heartbroken for many years, and I thought that it was my ex-boyfriend who I was looking to repair my heart. Oh my gosh, you know, he left me when I was sick, and how can he do that? I gave him everything, and that wasn't it. I was actually heartbroken because of my parents, because they had originally left me, and I had never had the courage to tell them you know, how I truly felt to be alone all those years and how I felt because I missed them and I wanted their attention and their love. And because of that, I had been looking for it in all the wrong places. So it wasn't until I had that conversation that I was actually able to liberate myself and fill my heart back up and repair it. Because if your heart shattered, you're going to, you know, no matter what anybody tells you, you're going to find an issue with it because you're going to come from a broken place. So if anything, those are two chapters in my book that I think tremendously help out the reading because you have an understanding of why things don't happen when you want them, and you have an understanding of if somebody leaves my life, if somebody fires me, if somebody, you know, acts a certain way towards me, it's not, don't take it personal. You're either being redirected or, you know, it's for your good. Always know that. We did get a question. Um... What daily rituals do you have to stay centered? Well, the first thing that I do when I wake up is prayer slash meditation. So we all know it's prayers when we talk to God. Meditation is when God talks to us. So that is the first thing that I do when I wake up because I have to have a sense of clarity, a sense of peace. I can't have the alarm clock go off and then I immediately turn on the TV. I immediately get my phone. I can't do that because my nervous system would be bad. The first person I need to talk to is my boss, which is God. And so once I get my directions, then I proceed with my day. Another thing that I do throughout the day is to remain awake or to remain centered or to remain happy as I take little pauses and breaks throughout the day to just be grateful. So if I'm going to eat food, I'm not going to eat food while I'm looking at my computer, looking at the TV, seeing if any clients are this or that. No. I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, God, thank you so much for this food. I appreciate it. May it nourish my body. And I'm going to appreciate every bite. It's not going to take me no more than five to ten minutes, but that little time is LV time. I figured that I am an amazing person at taking care of everybody else. Um, as women, most of us are, but we always forget to take care of us. And so before I could get on a phone call and be an amazing publicist or an amazing producer or whatever it is, I have to be amazing to me first so, not, so that I'm not coming from a place of, oh, my God, I'm tired, I'm hungry, or, you know, I don't have zen. So throughout the day, I take those little moments so, you know, even in the in the car, when I'm on my way to a meeting, yes, most of the time I schedule phone calls because there's not a minute that I'm not doing something. But, I, <laughs> if, there, yeah, but if there's, you know, a song that I love, I'm like, no, I'm going to sing it. This is going to be my me time, and I get my happy back. And so those are the small things that I do. And then, of course, I'm a, the type of person, because I run a business, 
it's hard for me, it used to be hard for me to sleep at night. But what helped me was that before I go to sleep, I do my to-do list for tomorrow and I say, okay, what are some good things that I did today? Oh, I got this client that, yay, that's good. I got this client that, oh, that's amazing. And I did this. <gasps> yes, so before I go to sleep, I'm already giving myself feel-good endorphins that I'm a good person, that I'm great. And I already have tomorrow squared away. So when I go to my bed, I'm completely ready for the next day. So that's my routine. And I do uh, create a visualization every morning. So I try to find a blank space on the wall, the ceiling, and I never thought to do this with my eyes open until I went through a class with Lisa Nichols, but you look and you literally picture whatever part in your life you want to picture, five years from now, today, tomorrow, whatever, you picture it and you know what you see, you believe, and you can achieve. And I actually I called Elvie one day and told her, I pictured her sitting on the set of my talk show and I interviewed her. And you know, we went out and like had drinks and dinner afterwards with our husbands or something. But I called her and I know she thought I was loony. <laughs> but you know, literally I pictured that and I was like sitting on the set. And I said, Oh my god, I can see it. It's gonna happen. I just, you know, I gotta keep working and it's gonna happen. Um, and I also I meditate as well and just try to be silent and just still and for at least 10 to 15 minutes when I first wake up and then you know get my day started and hopefully you know and hopefully nothing crazy will happen because of that and then at the end of the day I don't write them down but I always think of my wins so what was my win today you know I always try to find one win a day and it could be something simple like finding a coupon for cereal as long as it's something <laughs> something for me to be excited about. It doesn't take much for me. We have another question. Um, how do you find the perfect publicist for your brand? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I could give you a great example. I get several clients that come to me who are urban and they've had non-urban publicists and they don't know what to do with them and they wonder why and I'm just like well because they don't know your demographic, they don't know your producers, they don't know your editors. Um, you need to, wh whoever, whatever market you're in, let's just say you are urban but you want to get into a different type of genre, you still have to go with your core. You know, Steve Harvey wasn't able to get on NBC before he was on BET. So you still have to get your core demo. So I would say Google and research what publicist is the best for your demo. So for instance, if you're a basketball player, Google the uh, the best basketball player that's getting the most endorsements right now and then see who that publicist is so that we could so you know so that way you could um, contact them so it's about really doing your research and then also seeing you know what kind of clients they've represented and what they've achieved so far that's very important yes I agree um, we don't have any other questions right now um, I couldn't help but notice, is that Shirley Strawberry behind you? Oh yeah, that's Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, girl, you know what's so funny is that I didn't even know that she wrote my name in the acknowledgments and so when I'm reading her book I'm all, you know, like, oh my god, I'm so proud of her, this is great and then I'm reading it and then I see my name and I get so excited, I literally like circle the whole thing and I put yay and then I was like, why did I do that? Like, I'm gonna frame this, like, I'm so retarded but then I, I thought it was Gracioso. So I was like, I'll just put it on the wall. But yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then think like a man is above it? Yes, yes, absolutely. That was the first one when I was, I think I was 25 years old. Wow. Yeah. And to believe it or not, that was actually the second book because I wrote my first one at 23 and I've never even uh, published it. But it's called Dream Plus Plan Equals Success because I felt that a lot of people had dreams but they had no plan. And so I was like, well, what are you going to do with this? Kind of like faith without works is dead. Like you can't just have a destination. You need to know how you're going to get there. And so I wrote that book and eventually I, I actually want to release that to um, and publish it for the school systems because I think it could be very useful for 10th and 11th graders who are trying to figure out what they want to do with their life because that's when they start to get nervous about college. So um, I'm going to work on that. <laughs> That's groovy. What is the second book that you're talking about doing? I have no idea. Um, okay. 
just like this book, I had no idea what it was going to be about or how it was going to be guided. Um, so I, I absolutely have no idea. But I know that uh, I do want to write it in churches and in museums. So when I go to Mexico, I'm going to do writing sessions in the cathedrals, in the most famous um, places where uh, Hidalgo was, where you know the person that fought off and won the battle for Mexico. So I want to go where there's great energy, and I just want to see where God guides me and see what type of book I write. Great. Okay, so our question is, what if you are a doctor? How do you find the perfect publicist for your brand? It would be the same way, right? Yes, the same way. Like, uh, there's a few TV shows on right now that have doctors, so I would say um, mo probably reach out to them because they already have the relationship established. Or um, it just depends on your needs. If you're a doctor that just wants more clientele, maybe that's one publicist. If you're a doctor that wants to get a reality TV show, I would be the publicist. If you're a doctor, you know, it just depends on what you want. Gotcha. Um, so do you have a work-life balance? I think that a lot of women particularly um, struggle with that, and then also especially us being single women. Yes, um, I didn't have that, and that's why I got sick. Um, and now I absolutely do. I try my very best uh, to work from nine, um, which is not true. Probably seven thirty to about seven thirty usually, and that's good for me. You have to keep in mind. Um, I used to work from three thirty in the morning. I had to be at the radio station, and I wouldn't leave, you know, events until maybe eleven. And so for me to work from 7.30 to 7.30 is really, really good. But when I stop, I stop. I don't check emails. I don't check text messages. I don't check. I don't answer phone calls. I have to because if not the next day, I'm not going to be the happy and excited and, you know, giving off that positive energy that I need. And so I definitely do it. And also, um, like, for instance, this past weekend is a rare occasion that I had to work on a Saturday for the expo. But typically, I do not work Saturday or Sunday because I need to recharge my batteries. And so I have to have that balance because before it wasn't good for my health. That's good and very important to realize that, um, you know, God whispers to you and then he yells at you and then he throws a brick at you. And so I think that maybe your health scare might have been that brick coming at you like, wait a minute, I need to yeah. do something. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's nothing worth my health anymore. Uh, besides Steve Harvey, who are your favorite clients and why? This is a question that just came in. Well, um, I always say this, and it's my answer forever. <laughs> being a publicist is like being a mother. You can't pick favorites because one of them is going to get hurt. Right. So I enjoy them all equally. I love them. And everyone is a struggle. You know, one of them may have something that I have to get them through in order to succeed. Like one of my clients, when I take them into meetings, they start to uh, have a speech impediment and they can't land a deal. And so that's one of the things that I'm dealing with. But guess what? I'm not going to give up and be like, oh, you, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say, you know what? By meeting four or five, the jitters will be gone and then we'll land a meeting then. Another client, I may have to deal with trust issues because I've never had a publicist before. And every step of the way, they're like asking me. And I'm just like, I'm not used to being micromanaged. And so I have to say, hey, you have to trust me. You know, if you knew what you were doing with your career, you would have been a lot long farther. Like, right? That's why you're hiring me. Like, let me do my job. And so, like, every client is special to me because I feel that once I get them over that hurdle and I get them to, like, the other side, I feel like, okay, my job is done. I could go back and get more help. You know, so everyone, I feel good about helping. And um, another thing, too, that I want people to understand as, as publicists is um, – there's clients of mine that, you know, they may not be able to afford the retainer because they're not releasing a film, they're not releasing a book or whatever it is. But to never be the type of publicist that says, oh, well, I'm not, you know, so-and-so contacted me for them, I'm not going to tell them about it. Or I'm going to give this to another client. Or I'm going to do, you know, I believe that honesty has gotten me this far because I'm always very transparent. And I 
I'll give them the interview. I'll be like, hey, BT, hit me up for you. Here you go. So-and-so, here you go. And they always come back. And we have a relationship. And when I remember when I was at the Hoodie Awards, it was so funny because at one point, it was all of my past and current clients. It was George Wallace, <laughs> Cupid, Nephew Tommy, Shirley Strawberry, Steve Harvey. And I looked down the carpet, and I was like, this is all my clients. Like, And it was kind of like an aha moment because – I think as women, especially as women, because I don't think many men have this issue, is we don't see ourselves the way that other people see us. And so on that carpet, I was still being a post, like, oh, let me get out of the way. I don't want to be in pictures. Like, let me. And they're like, no, we want you to be in here. Like, we've known you for, like, 12 years. You're the one who helped me get here. And I was like, oh, well, sure, like, great. You know, so to also acknowledge the work that you've done. And when you're in the industry for this long, they are your peers. They're like brothers and sisters. So, you know, how can I say that Tommy is my favorite over Shirley when she's like my aunt, you know, and Tommy's like my uncle or my big brother. Shirley's like my big sister. You know, Shirley's the one who taught me how to dress in Hollywood or, you know, so it's like the relationships are so long and amazing that I can't pick a favorite. <laughs> Now, do you, um, I know I have been very selective. Are you, like, have you turned people down? You just, oh, yes, yes. you didn't align with what they were doing maybe or? Yeah, I can't, I can't deal with attitudes. I can't deal with ego. I can't deal with, um, I can deal with a little no trust. I can't deal with a lot of no trust. I'm just not there yet. I'm not in a, I'm not in a place where I have the, I feel like I should have to prove myself anymore. You know, I feel like it, I'm like, okay, like, let's let's get on this. Let me show you what I could do, and let's, you know, let's do it. So I'm not in that space anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't blame you. And it's, I think that, I think because we both believe in God, it's just, it's difficult to work with some people in this industry because they don't believe. They think that everything has come to them because they did it themselves, and that's yeah. not true. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, yeah. not I, true to that, I believe. So. Yeah, or if they're a brand, like, for instance, um, I'm not going to represent anybody who's, <coughs> excuse me, like in their pictures with a thong or this or that. Like, you know, I'm going to tell them, like, if you want me to represent you, you have to correct your image. Prior to my awakening, it didn't matter. You want me to represent you? You have money? Let's do it because I know people. Like, it's no problem for me. But ever since God awakened me, ever since I wrote the book, I only represent people that I know are going to do something positive for our community. Either your book is going to help somebody, either your comedy is going to relieve somebody's pain from that evening, either your this song is going to make them get up and dance, or, you know, it has to be something positive. You know, I'm no longer in that business, and I'm very fortunate that, you know, we don't, we love business, but we don't need business in that way. That is a blessing. Well, we have just seven minutes to go, so please let everyone know how they can reach you, and I will definitely make sure that I put them in the box below. Thank you. Well, you can reach me on my Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, uh, Facebook is just Elvira Guzman. The rest is Elvira Guzman LA. Um, email me any questions that you guys may have. I'd be very happy to respond. Thank you so much, and I greatly appreciate you being my very first guest and um, being such a good friend and guiding me through this crazy business of Hollywood. But, um, <laughs> and thank you everyone that watched and those that are going to watch the recording, please feel free to still send us questions and we'll do our best to get them answered. And thank you and hopefully you'll be hearing from me soon about the next episode of the Ask Dr. Renee Show. Good night. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. You're welcome.